Okay. We are recording. We're recording? We are recording. We're recording. I don't have, I don't have Chuck's talent for just coming up with intros <laughs> on the fly. I'm sorry. <laughs> Insert music. Blame it on the rust. <laughs> it's been a while. We're all a little bit rusty. Welcome back, scribes and scribblers. We are regretfully chuckless, chuckless today. Um, but I do have two very, very excited guests. Uh, no, they're not guests. They're my co-hosts. <laughs> we are rusty. <laughs> we are incredibly very. rusty. So welcome back, our generous benefactor, Sharon. Uh, hello, hello. And it's so good to see you, Tav. Double oh, bowl, Tav. So lovely to be back. It feels like it feels like it's almost been a year. Ah, uh, for for you, maybe it has yeah, been. It's been a while. What's what's what was your latest episode? I don't remember. Um, maybe Christmas or just before Christmas. I think it was. Yeah. Mm. So nearly a year. Well, well we haven't done anything months? for six months. Exactly. Yeah, it's almost mm. almost exactly six months since we did our last one. Our last one was. I think towards the third week of March. It was right before um, things really went to hell in the US. Mm. When in Sydney, I was in quarantine at the time because I had the sniffles. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was right after my birthday. So mid-March. Yeah, I remember. We co- recorded from home with um, Leo. L- correct. I recorded from the comfort of my bed. Can you explain the six months lapse? Well, life happens, pandemic <laughs> happens, you know, Miss Rona happens. Um, it's, it's actually been pretty interesting these past six months because I think everyone's been through some significant highs and some significant lows and there was very much a feeling of uncertainty. Uh, I don't know about you, Di, but definitely for me, it felt like there were other very... Um, more pressing matters to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Um, But I do miss um, having chats, roundtables with uh, all of you guys. And Tav, I haven't seen you in forever. The last time we spoke, but fun fact, the last time we spoke (laughs) was when Tav dialed me one night and out of the blue, I didn't actually have your phone number, that particular phone number saved on my phone. And I picked up the phone and the first thing I said was, you know, hello, Sharon speaking. And Tav just went, wrong number. Boom. Hung up on me. Yeah, I was very surprised. I was like, hang on. This, this, isn't, this isn't my mate Ricky. Somehow, somehow, OK Google, call Ricky. Uh, that, 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 that transformed into call Sharon. I don't, I, don't, I don't know why. So I actually spoke to Tav. Well, when I spoke to Tav, I met... Ricky. Ricky. Um, I spoke to Tav as Ricky uh, probably just like a week or two ago. Yeah, I was like, wow, your, your voice is a bit higher than usual, Ricky. <laughs> and that was my low voice too. Yeah, it was yeah. my low phone hello. voice. Yeah, it was very, very business-like. Uh, hello, yeah. Sharon speaking. Yes, very much so. <laughs> That's how you answer phone numbers you don't recognize? Correct. Yeah. Or I just hit the reject button. Yeah. Well, we do have um, a very loose and um, multi-topic... Um, outline for this episode but generally um, we wanted to announce that this is the return of the podcast Um, we have been on hiatus an unintended hiatus for the last six months because shit happened it was really really hard for me speaking personally to feel 
incredibly involved in the hobby when I couldn't be in just face-to-face interactions with other people in the hobby um, because that's part of what I get from being in the community is that I get to meet people and talk to people and go out drinking with people to be perfectly (laughs) honest so you know without all of that interaction it was I settled back to using my regular old favorites I wasn't picking up anything new and it was so hard to buy anything especially from overseas with shipping being the way it is right now because Australia's at the end of the world and (laughs) Australia's in the arse end of the world Yeah, because we're not getting any tourists, so very few planes are coming in with um, mail and shipments. So everything's taking heaps and heaps of time to get here. And it's very inconvenient for everyone, including retailers, Mm. but we'll get to that. But I thought we'd um, start off with two explainers. One, what happened to Chuck? You're probably wondering. I had a conversation with Chuck, and unfortunately, he's working as a frontline worker at the moment in Sydney. So, Australia, we are, well, touch wood, but current situation in New South Wales, at least, is pretty stable and um, looking promising, let's say. So, um, we're, on, we're on alert still, but it's not as tense as it was, you know, yeah, just a I couple think of in months the past ago. past few days, the only new cases of COVID in New South Wales have been returned passengers from overseas that are now Correct. in hotel quarantine. So yeah. it's it's looking up, but um, mm. still... But don't of, use it yeah. as an excuse to get yeah. complacent and kind start going crazy. Yeah, and that includes you, our leaders and politicians. Mm. Anyway, so um, Chuck is still quite stressed um, working as a frontline worker. So he's taking a break for a while. We'll revisit that situation once things get a little bit calmer and um, maybe when he's moved to a new job. (laughs) But we're staying in touch with him and we hope he'll be able to return maybe at the end of the year or early next year. Fingers crossed. I did actually see him in person a couple of months ago to buy one of his Franklin Christoph pens off him. It was nice to catch up with him, I have to say. But yeah, he, he's, yeah it's, it's, it's difficult not seeing the people in the pen community in person. Absolutely. Like, I've seen Sharon once. I've seen Brian all of once. Um, but lots of people, I just... Yeah. I feel so... Yeah, I'm sure we all feel the same. But in Sydney, when you're trying to be... Uh, when you're trying to adhere to the guidelines, it does mean it's a little bit lonely sometimes mm. when you live alone. Um, the other thing is we haven't quite, well, I haven't quite worked out what the topic lineup for the next few episodes will be. So um, our recording schedule might be a little bit um, freewheeling for a little while. So I hope to be able to stick to the one episode per fortnight every two weeks for you Americans. Um, (laughs) That's our regular schedule. If I'm unable to keep to that, I apologize in advance. Please forgive me. I am also very stressed because of work. And um, yeah, that's um, my disclaimer. Oh, the last thing is audio might be a little bit iffy. Uh, I'm going to say that in advance because I forgot to bring all of my connectors today and I'm using a brand new Mac Pro and I've never recorded on this particular laptop before. Ooh, Sebi, are you all right? So if audio has any issues, blame me, and that's why, and I'm going to blame it on my new laptop. Okay, let's go. To get us started, why don't we start with Tav? What are you writing with today? Today, I am writing with an Ancora uh, limited edition. can't actually remember who the limited edition was made for, 
but it's made of casein, which is a plastic made from milk. And it's got an 18-carat broad nib. It's, it's got the classic Ancora cylindrical design, and the nib is very long, uh, which is one of the reasons I really like it. It's kind of got a very vintage feel to it. It looks like the old... Um, I remember when nibs. you picked up that pen. Yeah, it, it was a really, really nice... Uh, it's, it's a really nice pen. It, uh, I got it from Peyton Street Pens and had a bit of a debacle with it, but uh, they ended up fixing it up, which was really nice of them. And it writes so beautifully... And it's got uh, it's got this lovely sort of white striations, similar to um, the you know the Pelican M six hundred with the on the on the pink candy cane. Well, pens. The, you know the white the white striped Pelican. Oh yes, the the all white one. It, it looks like this that the the bind on that the barrel on that. It's got these little white striations that are really nice. Um, and inside the pen is uh, Diatramentus Hyacinth ink. Because, yeah, it smells like pretty flowers and it's a lovely blue, actually. It's a really lovely royal blue. Um, so it's good for work. And Sharon, what are you writing with today? So I'm writing with one of the last new pickups, new pens that I've bought since um, we last spoke on in March. Uh, so what I'm writing with is a Lamy CP1 in the platinum finish, and it's currently just inked with Lamy blue, which I actually think is a very nice um, match. So a bit of a story behind the CP1. Um, some of you may or may not know, but once upon a time, I did work for Lamy. Um, I worked for the Lamy distributor in Australia. It was my one of my first introductions into the pen world. Uh, so I had the pen hobby and then I actually went online one day and typed the word pens into a job search and lo and behold this Lamy job popped up and I applied for it and was successful. So you know, anything works th- uh, in this environment. Wait, so were you using pens before you started working I was, for a pen um, company? I was. So my my family has a history with fountain pens. My my aunts and uncles have all worked at a fountain pen factory before, back when they were quite young. And I've always been quite obsessed with stationery. I love stationery. But I got into fountain pens uh, towards the back end of high school, um, beginning of university. And uh, I was into pens for maybe about a year or two years before I applied for the job at Lamy. Anyway, so I did end up working at Lamy for a while. And at the time, there were very few Lamy pens that used their 14 carat gold nib and that came stock standard on it. So the only ones that had uh, the 14 carat nib, um, the one that you can swap onto a Safari or All Star, were the CP1 Platinum, the Lamy Studio Palladium the one that has the has the pitting problem <laughs> and the discontinued uh, old version of the Emporium and I'm blanking on what that no- name the Persona the per- Persona mm-hmm. um, those were basically the only with ones with the helmet that, head yes but it the looks like cap. the em- Emporium yeah. now mm. that that had an uh, a gold nib but the one that I have it doesn't have the same nib as the it doesn't have a breather hole on, on it so that's the difference uh, the modern Emporium, yeah, but the the Persona that I have doesn't have the same uh, Lamy, like the dovetailed Lamy nib. It's oh. almost like fixed to the pen. So the ones that they had in the 2000s had the same nib. You mm. could swap them on and off. Oh, how unusual. The one, mine must be pre-2000s. Must be older. Then. 
one. Yeah, because oh. I've owned two of them, and they they don't they're definitely not interchangeable with the uh, oh. with the modern Lamy's. So yeah, they must have changed the design. So as a whole, like there weren't that many fourteen carat nib Lamy's other than the two thousand, and of the ones that they had available. The Lamy Studio Palladium was notorious for its pitting problems. So as soon as you uh, expose it to moisture, it would just get little raised bumps onto the finish and you couldn't polish it out. You couldn't repair it. The only thing you could do was just swap it around. And that damages the entire uh, warm finish. And the Palladium, sorry, the Platinum, CP1 Platinum, didn't have the same problem. And I wanted a gold nib Lamy. So I ended up getting a CP1 Lamy as one of my first work pens many, many years ago. Then, uh, you know, if people know the story about Lamy in Australia, the company that used to wholesale Lamy in Australia actually went into administration and I lost my job during the GFC. It's a bit deja vu these days, but um, I lost my job during the GFC and all I took with me at the time was my – I had a pen kit – which was part of my job. I couldn't take any of my other belongings. I just took whatever I had on me that particular day. Um, when I was um, when the administrators came into the business, they let everyone go. Everyone lost their jobs. About two hundred people, uh, probably not two hundred, maybe about a hundred or so people across this entire organisation. And um, I went back and because it was the GFC, I did a pretty big sale of all of the pens <laughs> I had because I had no money at the time. I'll gladly admit it. And at the time, I sold the CP1 Platinum that I had. Um, and ironically, I had offered it up as a set because I have the ballpoint, the rollable and the fountain pen at the time. No one wanted to buy the set, but someone did offer to buy the fountain pen. And, you know, desperate for cash, I said, yep, take the fountain pen. Fast forward, it would have been like 10, 10, this is now 12 years later. I was uh, cleaning up during COVID, as you do. I was sorting through stuff and I found my old rollerball and ballpoint pen. And I, it just took me back to when I first got into the habit and, you know, the uh, how I felt about getting my first ever gold nib Lamy pen outside of a 2000. And I just... I just had this feeling and I said, I'm going to get myself a CP1. You wanted to complete the set again? I wanted to, one, complete the set and two, I wanted to take myself to, you know, that that first love feeling. You know, when you like meet a brand for the first time, you kind of shake hands and you go, oh, you're quite attractive. That's what I wanted to get that. I wanted to get that first love feeling again. And um, I went and had a look at the CP1 and it just so happened that I found I think the CP1 is no longer being imported into Australia, the platinum version, because they were all on closeout Hmm. at Peters of Kensington. Wow. And I picked up one of these pens as my end of financial year gift to myself in June, and I've been using it almost ever since then. It's very much your aesthetic. It's it's really, really simple. The design's by uh, Muller the same guy who did the 2000 the 2000 yeah. but it you know it's a really simplistic design there's no frills about it it is just a pen that, that's it's literally so what it elegant is. though it's just a pen but it's you know really smooth it works great the nib is a delight i will say it, it reminds me of the um the aurora hastil yes that sort of yes, slim very much so cylindrical very um industrial sort of finish it's not for everyone because the grip section is quite narrow and the whole pen itself is very, very slim. 
but it's a really sleek, really easy writing pen that um, for me has a lot of sentimentality attached to it. Hence why, you know, I told you guys this really, really long story that Di's probably going to have to cut half of. <laughs> but yeah. if I get lazy, it's, it's just going to stay gonna in there. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I've been writing with. And that's probably the last pen that I've had delivered to me. It's the last pen that I've bought. Yeah. Well, um, what I'm writing with today is also the last, well, actually, no, it's the second to last pen purchase because the very last pen purchase that I got hasn't arrived yet. I ordered another um, DuPont Olympio large. Your backup of um, a backup of my, a backup. My, my second backup of my very favorite pen. A backup um, of a backup of my a backup. Hannibal pen. You're, you're worse than me. <laughs> Well, uh, because it's no longer made, I have to get backups just in case I need to ransack it for parts. That, that's what I do with them. <laughs> yeah, I, I the Sharon, reaction. <laughs> Sharon's having palpitations. Oh, uh, where are my pearls? I need to cl- uh, grasp them tightly <laughs> and I clutch at them. <laughs> well, you know, it happens. Um, you get rusting or tarnishing on on certain metal parts and then you have to replace them and then you can't find replacements. So what I do is like I I make Frankenstein pens out of different parts, Um, but they're all the same model. Only an expert would be able to tell. Yeah. I've, I've, I've done, um, I've done that sometimes with um, some, sometimes like cheaper pens, like noodles pens. You can buy these amazing, beautiful secondhand, um, not Lamy, Omas nibs. And I keep just finding new new Omas nibs to put on these cheap ebonite noodlers pens because you can you can reshape the ebonite. Yeah, I know. Yeah, clutching Sharon Sharon is still clutching the pearls, but they're they're nibs without a pen. So yeah. I'm not I'm not. I, hopefully, I'm not destroying anything. Gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, the Dupont is the last pen that I purchased, but the second last pen that I purchased was. And you'll know how long ago it was because we discussed it in our very last episode back in March. And it's the Platinum Curit. No, is it the Platinum? Yes, it's the Platinum Curitas, which is, if you'll remember... Curiouser and curiouser. It's the Platinum's version of a mass-produced retractable fountain pen. Uh, There has been quite a lot of... What what would you say? Um, Negative feedback about this, I would say. Since it was released back in January or so. Yeah, I think the, the beginning, the, the release of it had a bit of a PR disaster. Well, it doesn't help that, that the wide um, worldwide distribution coincided with Corona. I ordered this right after my interview with Anna Cheeky because she recommended a retailer in Taiwan who sells some really interesting inks. So I went and bought some inks, and at the same time I ordered the Kuradas because they had it on pre-order. My inks arrived, no problem, but the pen was delayed because Japan shipped them late to all the retailers in the Asia-Pacific, is what I'm guessing. And um, so the Taiwanese retailer didn't get it until, I think, April and by that stage, Taiwan was no longer shipping internationally they're to still, most countries. So yeah. Taiwan stopped shipping to Australia quite a while ago. Um, I think at the beginning of April, because I've been waiting on now two sets of my Decimo Special Editions. <laughs> and I'm oh, just gonna, no. <laughs> I'm going to wait for the last round to be released and I'll get 15 Decimos shipped in all at once via FedEx. Oh, that'll be amazing though. <laughs> Well, this Unboxing. ended up coming. Yeah. This Kuridas ended up coming to me by DHL, so I had to pay extra for the to, um, <laughs> for yeah. the shipping. I'm still waiting for. I bought another Ancora because I absolutely fell in love with this current Ancora. 
I bought a non-Casey and one of their more regular editions with a broad nib because their broad nibs are amazing. And That's so interesting. I've, um, Do you know who makes their broad nibs? I th- you know what? I have a theory. I think it's actually Santini. They're a very small pen company in Italy. I'm, I'm, that's on my like to, to, to buy next list because a lot of their nib designs are very similar and their pen designs are actually somewhat similar as well. Um, but they're, they're made in Italy. Um, I, I'm pretty sure they are lovely. They're really, really lovely. I just love it cause they're so like long and elongated, but they have this big thick blob of tipping on the end. You know, it's, it's such a nice look. Have you done anything to the tipping or is you no, just well, it No, I didn't. Um, they did have to like grind off the baby's bottom that it had. That's pretty common. Just that as, take that as a given. Yeah, that's pretty now. standard. Um, but yeah, I've had an Ancora sitting in Hong Kong for oh, ages. No. <laughs> yeah, so so it came from America, and there was nothing for a month, and then all of a sudden I get a shipping notification saying it's in Hong Kong now. So it's on regular. Um, it was regular international US mail. And the thing is, I've oh. had no issues. I hadn't before that no issues. It will eventually arrive. Yeah, it just, just makes it just might take a month. Yeah, that's the problem. I, I just hope I'm at the same address because <laughs> I'm oh, going to no. have to move soon. Yeah. Well, um, going back to my Kuradas, it arrived about six months after I ordered it. <laughs> that's the first thing. And it's been a disappointment. Um, if you've read my initial reactions on Facebook, on FPO, you'll know that I don't have a very good opinion of it. I think it is quite ill-advised in its design, to be honest, and If the purpose of this particular retractable pen, which is priced lower than the vanishing point, if the purpose is to make a cheap retractable pen to sort of enter the mid-range market, you know, the under 100 US dollars in that range, then yes, it is is priced, I, I guess, reasonably, but I don't think it's a good entry pen. For someone who has never used a fountain pen before, I think it's a little bit too... Um, the mechanism is not easy to figure out. Let's put it that way. Even as someone who's been refilling cartridges and converters for years, I found it very, very difficult to refill the converter. It, it's not the converter that's the issue. It's removing it and putting it back while making sure that you haven't lost any springs or bits or little it, it's like putting together a jigsaw puzzle and you don't want to have to go through the trouble of doing that every single time you refill your fountain pen, especially when it's meant to be a daily carry. And you remember the first reaction that I had when I saw the photos, the press photos for this oh. pen. I thought, was it um, Nick who said it was about going to be about $80? Yes. Um, and I said, really that much? Yes, Because it right. looks so cheap. Yeah, because if you think about, you can get an entry-level a vanishing point, so with a, an, a special alloy nib, for about less than 100 about 90 Yeah, 90. and this is a steel nib too. Yeah, and if you wanted to go up, you can get a decimo like ballpark. It's what, 150 150 I mean... So this is about the half the price of a decimo with a gold nib. Yeah. How, how much is it? Um, I don't quite remember, to be honest. I paid a lot, considerably more, because... DHL I, cost, shipping cost the ball. That, and also, well, I think because I got it on pre-order, it was a little, it was priced a little bit higher. Um, but now maybe, let me check, actually. How much would the Curidas be if you got it in Australia now? Because I always thought that the Curidas, the pricing of it was on par, or maybe a, just a little bit lower than the special alloy vanishing points. 
it, it almost seems like given the construction quality of a vanishing point versus the construction quality of the Curitas, it's almost like we're paying for the R&D that went into it rather than the actual pen itself. Because um, it sounds like they would have had to come up with a slightly ingenious mechanism that doesn't infringe on the patent that Pilot has. Okay, so Pulp Addiction had the Curitas um, regular price one hundred and fifteen. Uh, on sale, it oh, was eighty nine ninety five. Pearls. Where are my pearls? <laughs> so on sale is around ninety. Um, and I assume most peop- most retailers would probably be selling at around the ninety to one hundred mark. Mm. But I think that's. I mean, look at the pen. I mean, does it look like a hundred dollar pen? It looks like a like it looks like a, a preppy that went you know that went to uni sort of thing you know. I mean, no, nothing wrong with a preppy. Like, I use a preppy virtually every day at work. They're very good pens, but they're like, what, $10? Not even that? $5? I mean, I think the issue that I've seen with the Curidas is that it comes with a whole bucket of problems. It's. I can't even. It's exactly. Like a Visconti release. <laughs> I can't even narrow it down to, you know, one single issue because there are so many issues. Yeah. I'd like- have to talk a whole episode to go through all of them (laughs) so like my main problem is that for what it is it's too expensive it has too many mechanical issues Mm. and it's not very comfortable to hold the good thing is that the nib is pretty good yeah i just wrote with it yeah the nib writes spectacularly well it's actually very very nice and the um the patent platinum cap and seal whatever slip and seal slip and wait slip and seal seal slip and seal slip and seal that works no that issues. I slip and slide, but like, <laughs> okay. I had this pen sitting unused for about three months. Mm. I picked it up this morning. It wrote with no issues at all. Yeah, really I, works. I will nice. say that mechanism of platinums is one of my favourite things about the three seven seven six, the Century three seven seven six. But um, I can see there is some appeal to this particular pen. I mean, it's always nice to get another clicky retractable out in the market. It feels like a prototype. Uh, okay. Well, it looks like a prototype. The issue that everyone's had with this one is that the feeds come all cracked. Yeah, I, mine has a crack in it. I noticed on this one the feed is separated away from the nib as well, so it's not properly a lot, like seated yep. up against it. Yep. And it's leaking ink. Yeah. It's a <laughs> but good concept. But. <laughs> yeah. So a for um, effort. We look forward to the version two Kuridas. Yeah. Hopefully. I, I was actually listening to a different fountain pen podcast recently, and they were talking about platinum's main business model is, is quite simplistic. You know, they're pretty much a one-trick pony, but that's not a bad thing. That's why they're the able to... The 3776 is the yeah, most yeah, bought fountain pen in Japan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it works beautifully, and they've got, like, they've got the Preppy, they've got a couple of other cheaper ones, and they've got their 3776, and then they've got their very expensive Macchier ones. And But that's that. just basically yeah. a 3776 in yeah. a really nice dress. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the 3776 is good. They've, they've got the design absolutely perfect. There's nothing wrong with it, unless you just don't like the look or the feel. Um, but this is like their attempt at branching out into something completely new. Kudos I- for effort. Yeah. <laughs> a for effort, right? Yeah. Well, maybe like a B for effort. <laughs> yeah. It's a shame. It, 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 it's a good idea. but oh. I don't regret buying it. I'm glad I have it to see in person because there aren't many of these flying around Australia right now because of all the shipping issues we mentioned before. Um, so I'm glad I got to, you know, write with it and test it firsthand and to be able to tell you, maybe wait for the second iteration of the Kuridas. Yeah. So my question to you then, would you rather buy this pen or would you rather buy a special alloy vanishing point? Because the two are basically the same price range. 
I would definitely buy a vanishing point. I but would the special alloy nib. I think that nib on the platinum is better than the special it is alloy very nib. Nice. It's actually a very nice nib. Without a doubt. Um, I, I really like this nib, but I find the body of the pen itself really uncomfortable to hold. Um, and that's notwithstanding the annoying clip, which apparently you can remove, but I, I don't know why anyone would bother because the barrel of the pen for my hands is way too wide. If I write for more than a sentence, it becomes, it makes my hand actually cramp up. Tav well, actually reported. Yeah, I thought it was very Yeah, he said it was comfortable. But I mean, I've, I've got larger hands and also I'm quite used to wide bodied pens. Like um, my everyday desk pen, the one that I have on my desk every single day, I don't even bring it home, is a Lamy Dialogue 3. Which is very thick. I think it's it's maybe a oh it's maybe about the I same think it's thickness. Thicker than that, is it? Yeah. I think it's a little bit thicker, and they're very heavy too. Yeah, it's it's a it's a chunky pen for sure. So the dialogue three, I read this on FPO the other day, and I sent um, Di a message right after it. I saw the photos of the new Dialogue 3 that's yeah. now being that's now coming out next year. So I was around when the Dialogue 3 I was working for Lamy when the Dialogue 3 was first conceptualized and then released. When I You fir- can tell a guy invented it or designed it. Yes, yeah, so when I first saw it I was like this looks like an elongated tampon. <laughs> so you're never going to look at your pen the same way again. Oh, no, no, no. Did already- you have, do you have a white one? I've got a black and a white one. Oh, I've also uh, seen vibrators. They, they, they look, look like, like <laughs> they look like they're uh, some kind of um, hygiene product or intimate product that's made by Apple. If Apple, if Apple did, you know, certain the Dialogue inter- Three. If Apple, it's the iPhone. made uh, made, <laughs> made a um, vibrators. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it looks like yeah. It looks like an Apple vibrator. Yeah, so, but I um I saw the new one with Bluetooth. <laughs> with Bluetooth. <laughs> None of those pesky wires anymore. <laughs> so the new one, I actually quite like the look of the new one. Although, because I, I have a thing, I have a thing for... Rose gold. Rose gold and navy. That combination of rose gold and navy yeah, just I makes me... Yeah, I know the one you're talking oof, about. Right? But as soon as I saw it, I messaged Di and I said, does this look like a tampon oh, to you? Oh, it is absolutely a tampon because it's got a flat back now. At least both ends of the of the previous one were rounded. This one is literally the shape of a tampon. But classy AF. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's the eye tampon, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but this one, it oh, well, for me, it reminds me of a tampax rather than a tampon because, you know, it's retractable and that's what a tampax does. Yep, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> You just, you just smile. And I'm like I'm like yeah okay. I, I've never had to use one, but uh, yeah, I, I get yeah I get it. Anyway, sorry, we we'll complete absolutely uh, fine. That's fine. Sidebar on that, <laughs> but I know I love that navy and rose gold combination, and I may actually cave in and get myself oh, one of those. Okay, next year. It, it is a very nice looking pen, even if it does look like a tampon. I'll have to try and get over that first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When the new Lamy's come in, I guess we'll have to talk to Kevin about them because I'm sure he'll have plenty of thoughts. Mm. <laughs> okay. That's what we're riding with today, folks. We waffled on for a little while, but um, that's what happens when we haven't seen each other for months and months. Let's get to the feedback. Sharon, do you want to do the honours to start with? Sure. So, so we're catching up on months. Um, we're, we're catching up on months. And, you know, before we read the specific ones um, here, I also did want to say a thank you to everyone who messaged us on Instagram to check that we were alive. And to check that we were okay down under, we had um, a series of uh, concerned messages asking whether we were, you know, caught in bushfires, whether we, you know, were ill from coronavirus. Just a series of calamities this year. Just a series of things that have gone wrong in Australia this year. But we appreciate all of your um, care and concern and the messages. Um, 
So we have a uh, feedback from Ed from New Jersey from May this year, uh, who says, I've been working from home for the past five weeks. Really enjoy your podcast. Thanks for the information and entertainment. Thanks, Ed. Well, that's <laughs> Thanks, Ed. lovely. I, I will say, over the past six months, I've listened to more podcasts than I oh my God, ever same, have. Same. Have you actually listened to our own podcast? No, because there are so many other fun <laughs> ones out there. <laughs> um, Chuck? How about you? Oh, sorry. Same, <laughs> same, same. The same. ghost of Chuck will now <laughs> read. Tab, okay. would you like to read the next review? Uh, we can see if we can get him on the phone, get him to read it. Um, so this is from Discombobulate. Um, is that an Instagram handle or something? Is I think that it was on, how you pronounce it. I think it was yeah, on iTunes. Discombobulate. Oh my yeah, god! I yeah, was going to yeah. call it Discombobble. Oh, it's a, it's it's probably um, it looks like a review. Um, it says I'm relatively new to the podcast and have quickly played catch up with most of the episodes. Oh god, I'd love to be able to binge podcasts like that. I'm, I'm I've binged too many now. I don't have any to binge. <laughs> um, I love the banter between the hosts. Um, the community input from knowledgeable collectors and exposure to elements of the hobby that I probably would never have discovered on my own. Thank you for su- fostering such a great community. Well, thank you, Mr. or Ms. Uh, Discombobulate. Yeah, appreciate that. That's, that's, that's lovely. I, I love the banter between the hosts as well, personally, being part of it, but yeah. And this is probably the point to say that I'd like to thank Sharon for opening her bottle of, is this Mum? Uh, Blanc de Blanc Mum, yes. Yes. George H. George G. H. Mum, yeah. Blanc de Blanc. It's, it's very nice. It's gorgeous. It's been a very long time since Di and I have ha- shared a bottle of champagne together. We have had a champagne together, mm-hmm. but we haven't shared a bottle together for a while. Well, the last time I talked to Chuck, he was saying that he and Erin would like to come over sometime and meet the dog and just like have lunch. And I think that's a great idea. We should definitely do it at some point. Mm. Um, maybe around Christmas. Okay. Sharon, would you read the next one? Oh my gosh, you've given me a hard one. Is this even supposing? Evan supposing? Even supposing. It looks like even supposing. Apologies if I got that wrong. English is not my first language. (laughs) (laughs) The nib section is not just my favourite stationary podcast, but my favourite podcast period. Sharon, Chuck and Diana are extremely knowledgeable, but they are also able to articulate verbally the subtleties of pen experience in a way that many are not. They are always fun and entertaining, but they are also very informative. The podcast is a pleasure to listen to, but also a great resource. It provides insights into the Asian pen market that would otherwise be unavailable to listeners like me in the U.S., and while this is a pen podcast, uh, the hosts also speak with intelligence and nuance about social and cultural issues when they intersect with the show's content. In addition, they bring on other experts from the pen community and bring out the best of them with their excellent interview skills. Their recurring guests and alternate hosts are also fun, friendly and intelligent. Mel, Tav, Tom, Leo and so many others. If you can't already tell, I love this podcast and the people who run it. Keep up the great work and thank you so much. Oh, I am. We, uh, that's. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what to say. That's. That's. That's so sweet. Thank you very much for your Thank support. You. Um, Evan, supposing or even supposing, either one. <laughs> either one. Either or. Um, and Tab, do you want to read the last one from Arabelle? Okay. Um, Arabelle from Vermont says, "Hi, Chucks, Sharon, and Di." And Tab, I'm going to add. Me. And me. I'll just. I'll just assume that's implied. I feel like I know you. Sorry for any uncomfortable familiarity. 
I don't know if I don't want to speak for you two, but I don't think uh, familiarity is uncomfortable for for us. Buy us a drink first. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, fine. If, if you want to, you can always buy me a drink. I've listened to almost all of your Oceans of Ink episode, and I have not heard anything about Rora and Klingner. Their Verdigris ink is my favorite writing and journaling ink, and their Alt Goldgrun is in my top ten. I'm wondering why R&K was not mentioned. Maybe it's not marketed in Australia? I think we don't mention R&K so often because it's it's been around for so long. And um, they haven't come out with ooh, car car noise. Just wait for it to go by. R&K haven't come out with a lot of new releases uh, for quite a while, except for, I think, their drawing inks, which are... Yeah, the sketch, sketch the, inks the are ink gorgeous. Sketch, sketch ink? Sketch ink. Sketch, sketch ink. ink. And I've tried them, and they're really good. Yeah, um, they're fantastic. Nice colours. Um, but um, the main inks have just been around for so long, but they're very reliable. Um, they make good iron gauze. Yeah, Old very... Goldgren is one of my favourites. Yeah, yeah. Old Goldgren's a real cult classic. Those of you in FPO might know Ruby, Tabby Toe. They, yes. are, they are obsessed with Old Goldgren. They use it in all of their pens a lot. Um, it, it, it is a classic pen, uh, classic ink, and so is Verdigris. I always think that Alt Goldgroom, which is the only R&K ink that I own, and as uh, listeners of the pod would know, I don't buy inks from just ink makers. I usually only buy inks from pen makers. Um, but for from R&K, Alt Goldgroom is the only colour that I own, and I own two bottles of it because, in my mind, it is the perfect ink for an M400 white tortoise. There is no. It better is a ink. really, yeah. really sophisticated ink. Golden green, yeah, with the same It's the, per- it's sort the of perfect yeah. match. Yes. Yeah, so please, anyway, anyway, ep- um, please finish the Please finish the out to Sharon for recommending Sailor Gentle Irori. It's now my favorite red ink. It's also my favorite red ink. It's amazing. It's I love really it. good. I love it. Um, finally, I am on Instagram under Violet Inverness. Just one word. I have a vision of doing calligraphy haiku, my own on backgrounds of fountain pen ink washers. That sounds gorgeous. I'll be posting my first slash current example in the next few days. Meanwhile, I've been posting my daily practice of art deco calligraphy. I'd appreciate some follows if any of you are so inclined. Wow. I'm so sorry. This is from back in February and we're reading it now in September. You're suddenly going to get, Arabelle, you're going to get so many follows right now. But just all of a sudden, months and months <laughs> later. So, thank you for TNS. I always learn something. And more importantly, it's always enjoyable to listen to your podcasts. Uh, thank you for keeping them free of ads, too. I know that's not cheap. Best wishes, Arabella. Thank you, everyone who left a, oh. um, a review, a comment. As Sharon said, all of your check-ins were really touching. And speaking personally, it's at least, you know... 40% of why we mustered up the energy to get back together and record. Because um, we've been wanting, we've been saying that we should do it again, but we were waiting for the situation to become less fraught and to feel less risky in Sydney um, because we wanted to do it in person and also to, you know, work up the energy, I guess, yeah. um, and the excitement about the hobby again. But that, I, I absolutely took, live yeah. for the, the feedback that we get, the... Mm. the Amount of enjoyment that we provide for people. That's 100% why I do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, let's get into the main bulk of the conversation. It is about catching up on things that we've sort of missed um, during our hiatus, and but also talking about how we've been using fountain pens during quarantine. First of all, has anyone actually been sort of in self-imposed quarantine over the last six months or so? Sharon's, no, Sharon's has her Sharon's hand up. Sharon's raising her hand, yeah. Um, 
So I have for a, a couple of reasons. When the COVID-19 outbreak first kind of really hit the um, shores of New South Wales and Sydney, um, one of the areas where they had quite a few live cases was at um, the hospital that my mother works at. And my mother is a frontline worker as well. So um, I was torn between wanting to see her, but then also being responsible because I was still uh, working in an office environment. But when our officers decided to uh, send everyone to work from home, I started seeing my mother more. But then my other sense of social responsibility kind of kicked in and said, you know, I should really try not to um, come in contact with that many other people. So that was probably the first two, three months where I really kept to myself and uh, stayed at home, went outside to walk the dog and that was about it. And then it's it's a really terrible thing, but I am very much a hermit. I am a hermit by nature. I am uh, an extreme introvert um, if uh, given the chance. And being at home, I've actually really liked being at home. Same. <laughs> I've loved just kind of one walking around in like, you know, gym tights or PJ pants all day, every day, and not having to uh, not having to interact with people and have that energy exchange you know because when you interact with a lot of people and I do this at pen meets a lot I'm okay for about the first hour or two hours and then all the energy sucked out of me Um, I think it's quite draining but I've been completely refreshed and because when all of this started, it was the beginning of winter. And, you know, if you know anything about Sydney, Sydney winter is the best. It is actually the best in the world. And I, my apartment faces like due west because it faces the water on um, towards the west, which means during summer, I can't open any blinds. But during winter, I've had all my blinds open and I've been able to just enjoy natural sunlight, being being able to wake up to natural sunlight has uh, – wow, I, I sound very um, – <laughs> uh, what is it? I sound very much like one of those mental health practitioners, um, <laughs> meditation, pro-meditation, wellness, uh, wellness <laughs> obsessed, <laughs> obsessed people. Um, but I will say the waking up with the sunrise and having just natural light come into my apartment all the time, that's just been beautiful. It's it's been fantastic. So I have been home a bit less recently. So I've been going out a little bit more um, out of necessity. But yeah, uh, I bought a house recently. So um, that necessitated <laughs> me. That's necessitated me going out at some point to actually see this property, which I'd bought sight unseen, as Diana mentioned. As a whole, I've I've actually quite enjoyed being at home, other than. The other than sometimes I just want to pick up the phone and call someone and just have a bit of a chit chat. But have you noticed your writing habits or your pen using habits changing? Absolutely. I write so much less. It was a real uh, downside of quarantine and the lockdown that I thought I would write a lot more. So did I. I I didn't. I could not find the inspiration to write. And when I did write, it was out of necessity for uh, work purposes. But even then, because I was in front of my computer all the time, I wasn't writing as much because I wasn't attending meetings. I used to always write when I attended meetings. And the one thing that I have noticed in the last six months is that my handwriting 
is shocking now. I used to be pretty happy with my handwriting. I thought it was quite neat and relatively consistent, had a bit of character. It wasn't unpleasant to look at. It's terrible now. It's like it's like I'm learning how to write Deteriorated very again. quickly. Oh, it's gone out the window, like actually out the window. That's a real testament to the fact that, that handwriting can be practiced. Like I used to have so awful, true. awful yeah. chicken scratch. And then when I, I started to work at Penultimate in the city for a little while, um, the owner asked if I could practice my penmanship so that my writing never too is- late. Yeah, and and I did, and and my writing became really, really almost calligraphic, even my daily writing. But then I started working in a lab once I finished my degree, and people couldn't read it because uh, a lot of them were English as a second language. They had English as their second language, and, they- and so cursive would be like yeah. a completely different language. Oh, to absolutely, read? and or, or even more, like my capital letters were were different, and they're. So I would get calls from people going, you need to write in English. And I'm like, I am. They go, yeah, whatever that is, is not English to me. So I had to start printing again. And then my my old sort of slight, like neat-ish, but not very neat style of handwriting came back. It's, it's yeah, when people say, oh gosh, I wish I could write like that. And I'm like, yeah, you could. It just takes a lot of weird nights of cramped hands practicing and notebooks and stuff. It, it just takes like, uh, building up that habit and doing it, doing it more. You know, uh, the last six months, I've not handwritten a lot of things and it, sh- it shows. I went into, okay, let's st- say to begin with, um, Tav works in a lab, so he hasn't been working from home. Sharon and I have been, I, I completely work from home. Um, Sharon has been mainly working from home. Correct. But Tav, ha- have you been using your pens differently? Um, um, because I, you're still going to work. Yeah, uh, my work has not changed because I'm in a forensic lab. And so our laboratory work is not even remotely related to COVID-19. Um, it's forensic drug testing. So, But there are a lot less, um, what do you call those, drive-by tests uh, now. So yes, but a lot of the tests less- that I do are subsequent to road crashes so okay. if, if they are there less accidents now there were well actually it was interesting there was a spike when oh. lockdown started yeah because i'm not really sure why i think maybe people were stressed out maybe taking more drugs drinking more alcohol because part one of the drugs i test for probably the biggest one is alcohol but also i, oh. <laughs> I guess with no random breath testing maybe you get a lot more people being taking more risks i i i can't say for sure but that's a possibility. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a, an, like an expert in, in like statistics or anything like that. But what I, but I, I did notice that it, the, the amount of people coming that, that, that had had their, yeah, that, that were getting tested for drugs and alcohol kind of spiked a little bit, not like dramatically, but certain, certain types of tests did, did spike, but my fountain pen usage also changed in that I moved to a different lab, which in a slightly more senior role, which meant I was signing off on cases more that would go to court. And so signing off on things requires physically a signing, signing them. pen. <laughs> yeah. So I, thankfully, I'd already had a bottle of Noodler's X Feather, the, the bulletproof ink. And of, everyone knows that I have a lot of iron gall inks. So um, <laughs> using my waterproof inks has been uh, very beneficial. I guess that's probably the biggest change to my use of fountain pens. It's nothing to do with COVID. But moving to a new job with legal documents, I tend to prefer to use at least light fast inks, if not waterproof inks. Like um, Sharon was saying before, she uses 
Lamy Blue, which is a gorgeous ink, but I've noticed it fades very quickly. Very quickly, yes. So inks like Noodler's Sailor, I've noticed, is quite fade-resistant. Um, Jehoban as well, Pilot Urashizuku, they, they seem to be quite fade-resistant. And, of course, Platinum, the, the pigmented inks, the carbon ink. I've been using a lot as well. So all of those are pretty fade resistant. I get I get I guess if if a, a, a you know an officer of the court accidentally spilled their cup of tea on it, well, it's kind of their problem, but um So are you actually required to sign with a ballpoint or No, a- there's no there's no yeah. rule that says that. It just says blue or black ink. And so I will use blue or black ink or blue black ink. Just an extra extra consideration from you. Yeah, I mean resistant. I'd love to use fancy colored ink but um what i've what i've started using that for is highlighting instead so i bought myself a bottle of noodler's bay state cape cod cranberry it's such an it, it, it's it's part of the bay state series like wait, bay state wait, blue. Wait, what is the defining feature of the bay state series that, that they're incredibly they were, staining well the the thing is i think they were they were developed from vintage inks and oh, so pem and sapphire and so on yeah, well, yeah, vintage inks and, and such. And I think Cape Cod Cranberry was also based off an, a vintage ink. And this one doesn't stain. I've got it in an eyedropper platinum preppy highlighter pen. And it's gorgeous. It's a really beautiful, bright, bright pink. It's probably the pinkest pink I own. It's eye searing. It's gorgeous. I love it. Um, How does it compare to Noodler's Rachmaninoff? I think Rachmaninoff. Okay, that, so I guess it's it closer to a fuchsia, actually. It's a fuchsia pink rather than a pure, pure pink. Rachmaninoff is a pigmented ink. That, um, that's the bright pink one from I think the, that's a pigmented, from the like Russian a, series, right? Yeah, that's a... I don't know if it's necessarily... It's, it looks pigmented to me, but it's one of their bulletproof um, inks. But I chose this one because I don't think highlighting needs to be bulletproof. It's just highlighting. And most of the documents that I highlight, I throw out anyway because they've got marks on them, so... Yeah, I've been using highlighting inks a lot more. I've been using my Lamy Neon Lime, which is a fantastic... Is that the highlighter ink? Yeah, it is a highlighter ink. It's also fluorescent on a black light, which is cool. And I've been using that in a pilot... um, What do you call them? The little tiny cute ones. Petite. The petite. But I've got it in one of the little marker pens instead. The the felt... um, Yeah, the felt tip one. It's it's great. It's so good. It's so small. You just keep it in your lab coat. It's really easy. But that being said, there are times where I do have to use a ballpoint... Um, and always in my lab coat, I'm keeping a Pelican K400 in the white tortoise. So, yeah. Um, I, if you remember back in March, I said that this was a good time to be journaling. Um, I discovered that I did very little journaling in the last six months. <laughs> because what were you going to write? Today, I stayed at home. <laughs> the next day, today, I stayed at home. But instead of having one egg for breakfast, I had two eggs. Switched it up. Well, that's part of it. The other part is um, in my free time, I wasn't writing to de-stress. I was trying to be outside as much as possible because, you, you, you know, you couldn't go out to eat. So what I did was I spent a lot of time in the garden. What oh, I my could. God. Oh, Diana, how does your garden grow? <laughs> if you guys well. haven't seen photos of Diana's miraculous, beautiful, envy-inducing garden – you're missing out. So I'm, I'm hardly on the way to self-sufficiency, but I started a vegetable garden back in March and, you know, put down some raised beds, started growing vegetables. Um, and it's been a, a great way to de-stress, you know, just to spend some time outdoors, work off some excess energy, you know, be in the sun and not just be reading and writing all day um, or staring at my laptop for work. 
um, or staring over Zoom at someone else. It's very therapeutic. Here we are going back into the lifetime, the, the, the mindfulness, <laughs> the mindfulness talk. talks again. <laughs> but these are our tips. Um, so, but if writing works for you, do that. For me, um, it's been good to do something physical with my hands, whether it's cooking, whether it's gardening or something like that. And um, what I have been doing with my pens is I have a garden diary or um, what, what do you call that? Like a gardener's journal where I write down the new plants that I've put down, um, the state of them. I, I do checkups, you know, um, t- four weeks along, how are the seeds doing. And I'm also, I have diagrams in them because I'm planning to do some crop rotation between my raised beds. It's getting very complicated, y'all. Um, <laughs> but I'm enjoying it. Um, it's getting me writing. It's mostly like little drawings and copying stuff from plant tags. But I, I enjoy that too. And it, it lets me use my different colored inks because for work, I just use red and blue. That's it. <laughs> so I will uh, give another plug for Diana's garden. When Di first started doing her planting, uh, when she got her uh, vegetable beds back in March, uh, she went and did this crazy thing where she pulled together a spreadsheet of like every single type of seed, the germination time, how far apart you should plant them, you know, how long it takes, um, when you should plant them, blah, 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 blah. And I ha- actually showed my father, because uh, he, he's now retired, I've, I showed him pictures of your garden. And he was like, this is amazing. This is so inspirational. And I showed him a screenshot of Diana's master spreadsheet. And he said, can you please ask her for a copy of this spreadsheet? Uh, Because I'm going to take inspiration from her garden and I want to plant my own and be self-sufficient. Well, so he's done that. He has managed to keep one tomato plant alive. Yay! One tomato plant. It is now like sprouting tomatoes like there's no tomorrow. They have a lot of organic tomatoes at home. Wow. And then some uh, bok choy. We're coming out of bok choy season. It's not going to taste very good now because it's too warm. Well, he tells me that there was bok choy. And... Then everything else kind of died and it was in the too hard basket. But somehow he, they've managed to uh, grow a pepito melon tree where they've got a cutting for you for that wow. um, in, the, in their backyard. And everything just became too hard. So he decided to grow evergreens and he decided to plant bamboos instead. Bamboo. <laughs> yeah, but bamboo is kind of the, probably the easiest plant to grow. Yeah, you can't kill bamboo. It's a weed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, yes, he's now planted uh, six big terracotta pots of bamboo. But tomatoes is, is, is not um, easy. So, you know, kudos to him. Yeah, I think that was like purely uh, a fluke. And he likes to tell everyone that he's also planted mangoes, but actually the mangoes are our neighbor's mangoes. They've just fallen on his side of the fence and they've fall, actually fallen on his, um, in his garden. Therefore, uh, he says, I've planted mangoes. Wow, I mean, a far stretch. That's a yeah. That's a very. I hope he yeah. Hope he stretched before that reach. So we have been using our pens. We we haven't neglected our pens. From from my part, I've just been using my old favorites. You know, my vanishing points, my Duponts, mm. um, some of my sailors, and picking up this platinum Kuridas when I can be bothered, uh, <laughs> just to try it. 
I will say during this time, it has given me the opportunity to try some inks that I haven't um, used in the past. So I've tried writing long form with all of, you know, the whole, the hottest hot of what's hot now, all those super light shading, multi-shading inks. So I like the Sailor Like ha-ha. Sailor Haha, Sailor Neko Yanagi, um, Sailor 123, um, a lot of sailors here. The uh, Bellflower from the Martin Style, the, really the Pastels, pales. the Fuji Musume, all of those really light inks that I, like, I'd never used before because there was no place for it. Well, at the moment, if I'm jotting down notes at home, I write with really light-coloured inks. And with really broad nibs. Ha! Huh. Yeah. How's that's that? Right. That's it. Maybe that's why your writing's deteriorating. My, my writing's terrible these days. I, I will say, despite my love of broad nibs, I always write so much neater with a fine nib. My writing took a sharp downturn outside of work. Um, I was doing a few repairs, people sending me their repairs. But, I mean, personally, I, I know that I was actually struggling for a bit because, unlike you two, I'm quite extroverted. So. I think I saw like a Twitter post recently that was like, oh, so to all of you extroverts that are... Um, Our sympathy is... Yeah, it's like, it's like they say, they think they likened it to an introvert being at a really loud party. And it's that kind of discomfort. So I, 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 I flourish when I'm around lots of other people. And so I was getting very stressed. I was getting really down, lonely, that sort of thing. Because I couldn't, couldn't see people. So I got Except kind of... the dudes at work. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and whilst they're nice, they're not like my besties. So I, 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 I compensated with, um, you know, being, get growing closer with my family, like constantly calling them. Even if I wasn't seeing them, I was calling like my, my brother and I pretty much call each other twice a day now. Um, That's a good he lives in Melbourne. Into. So we, uh, well, he's bored in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he's like me though. He loves to get out and do stuff. You know, he's one of those real outdoorsy types. Um, you know, he loves to go rock climbing and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, call your grandmas. Yeah, call your, absolutely. Call your parents. And I've been, call I, I everyone. been able to visit my grandparents because they were in a, um, a nursing home. So they've they've completely locked everyone out, which is fair enough. I completely agree with it. So, but it's just been very hard. And then when they finally let us back in to uh, to see them, we couldn't hug them. Do do your grandparents? Do they have access to like FaceTime and? Yeah, they, they do. They do. Yeah, they do. And really I faced. Well, I, I Skype them all the time. Um, but it's just, it's not the same. I can't hug my grandparents. Even if I do go visit them in person, I can't. You have to stay a meter and a half away, which is. Well, yeah, I don't difficult. hug my grandparents anyway because we're Asian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I'm not going <laughs> to. Well, my family is a very huggy family. So. <laughs> um, but I think that with my the decline in my mood, the amount of pens that I was. Uh, using declined quite significantly. That's why it's been so yeah. hard, I guess, to to do the podcast, mm, I guess, yeah. in the last six six months because you don't want to just hear about how down we are, right? No. And you don't want to hear about today. I'm writing with my pilot Decimo yet again, and it is inked with Graphon Faber Castell Cobalt Blue yet again. Same, yeah. yeah. But stuff has been happening in the meantime. Absolutely. Um, in while, the pen world. In the pen mm. world. Um, do any of you listen to Tokyo Inklings? Mm, on occasion, I yes. do. Yeah. So it's a brand new podcast. Well, not new anymore. They've been going for several months. But new to us, podcast by CW, um, Tokyo Station Pens, and Fude Fan, Jacob, mm. in Tokyo. Great podcast. 
very knowledgeable about uh, the Japanese pen and ink community. We really wanted to, I guess, touch on the breaking news that came out several months ago um, that Jacob and CW talked about, which is the is, – can we call it an acquisition? The acquisition of Sailor. By is plus. it confirmed? I thought it was just proposed. Based well, on what I it's the read. option. Mm, yeah, yeah I, I think I think uh, I seem to think like like the, in the episode after they released, they they talked about that. They were sort of talking about it like it had happened, like they had actually acquired them. But they were saying uh, Sailor under plus. But uh, so I had done some reading when that episode first came out when they were talking about. Um, uh, the proposed acquisition. And at the time, it was all just announcements of they were looking into this particular acquisition. And I, I do a lot of M&A work at, uh, for my day job. And if there's one thing I know in this day and age is that acquisitions don't usually happen and don't always happen. And there are a lot of hiccups to get there. But, you know, if it is a s- certain thing, if it is a certain thing, then um, I would have expected... Uh, bigger changes to have been felt. So what are the changes that have been felt so far? Um, They've streamlined their collections, right? And I think that was announced to retailers back in April or May that they were discontinuing several lines. Um, They were were not really the um, the popular lines, though. Exactly. Mm. But um, I think that's probably... A step in the right direction if yeah. you're trying to make sailors' pen business more profitable, um, and it's a good start. But in the future, say the acquisition actually goes ahead and plus or has gone ahead, or yeah. has gone ahead and plus exercises. Well, actually, let, let's um, just run down what we think has happened. Um, for those of you who didn't listen to the episode. So I think what Jacob and CW said is from the reports in the Nikkei is that PLUS, which is a big Japanese conglomerate, um, mainly in stationery but also in logistics, they have purchased a sizable amount of convertible bonds um, from for Sailor. And if they exercise their right to convert those bonds into stock in Sailor, then they would, they would be then they would be um, the majority shareholder and they would have more than 51% of the shares for Sailor. Um, but we don't know if they've exercised that right yet. So if Plus, this big, big company, um, does become the majority shareholder of Sailor, then what sort of actions do you expect them to take and how would that impact us in Australia? Uh, so I think, you know, how it impacts us in Australia is probably a bit far-fetched, but um, I would say, so if Sailor were to go under new ownership and especially under a large conglomerate, one of the first things that you will see is a pretty detailed analysis of their various product lines to see which ones are generating good returns, which ones are give you best bang for buck, essentially. You would also be looking at how do you streamline your overhead costs, where are all of their costs going? Is it going into too many factories, too many distributions, um, distributors, too many salespeople out on the road to service all of their distributors? You know, what's the admin headcount that they're currently holding who aren't actually out there generating revenue? And 
what are the margins and what are the prices they're striking with their overseas suppliers. Um, so if I were plus and I were taking over uh, Sailor, that, those would be the things that I would look at. Um, I would be pretty critical of certain actions that Sailor do that, you know, may garner them just goodwill or just uh, reputation if those actions don't eventuate in uh, some sort of really good return. So one thing that I did see recently, and I thought it was quite an interesting move, is that Sailor's obviously very well known for its inks. You know, you can't talk to anyone about inks without someone mentioning a Sailor ink somewhere, right? And the one thing that Sailor really hit the nail on the head with last year were their shading inks and their 100 inks. And they've, in the last few months, uh, increased really set that the range. Trend. Yeah, they've well, they set the trend originally with their one, two, three, and then they've um, expanded that one hundred range. They made an announcement that they expanded that range. So now there's more than one hundred. It's now more than one hundred. They oh. came out with three new ones in particular, three like multi-chromatic shading inks, which look fantastic. Um, I don't know what the numbers are. I'm just not very good with those numbers. But um, there are three of them that are out now and they've done a lot of press with all of their retailers around how these inks perform on different papers, how these inks change colours. They, you know, they have a natural shading um shading and halo quality to them that have multiple colors all in one. They remind me of the like Troublemaker Milky Ocean oyster, uh, oyster is it? Um, Three oysters, I think. Petrichor. Kelp, the kelp one from Troublemaker. That's Troublemaker, yeah. Yeah, the Troublemaker, not the Three Oysters, sorry. Um, But it reminds me of like those types of inks. And they've been pushing that narrative so hard over the past couple of months that when it did release, you know, there was a pretty big hype for those inks. Um, And I think that wasn't just domestically but also internationally as well. So... You know, I think they've capitalized on what they saw was a you know, really strong um, uh, advantage that they had out in the market that everyone knows Sailor inks are really reliable and they've decided to push what's really hot now. I, I think that's a really smart move. Am I imagining things or are there rumors again that the gentle inks are being discontinued? I think they have been, yeah. They have been. They have been discontinued. Even in the new smaller It's hard to bottles? keep up. Oh, no, no, because they call them the shikiori inks in the mm, smaller bottles. Yeah. The gentle ones were in the old um, squat yeah, they, sailor they bottles. They were discontinued they were, a while ago. They were discontinued. Oh, okay. continued, uh, they, I mean, they, they reintroduced them exclusively for the American market. And now they're discontinued And then they discontinued again. them yeah. again, which is a real shame. It's hard to keep track of. They, but they got rid. They, they they introduced the old old ones, you know, like yeah. Epinard and exactly, um, and the purple Sky one. High, Sky High, yeah, yeah, they brought that one back. Ultramarine, yep, yep, yeah, those ones. But yeah. their, their their Shikiori line has quite similar. Some shows. the names are the same. Yeah, and yeah, in fact, it Some does include names, like yeah. they've still got um, Yamadori, Yamadori, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yamadori, Tokiwamatsu. Yeah. They, they kept yeah. all of the that gentle line. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, it's just that in those old squat bottles. Yeah. Um, that they've discontinued it again. <laughs> so. And the other thing that I will say, if you notice Sailor in recent months, they've seemed to have, I don't know if they've been listening to customer demand, but they have brought back a lot of their mini pro gears, which were previously discontinued in the larger size from memory and were then only available as special editions. But now there are many more special editions, which are the mini size. It was a it was a 
fan favorite, apparently. Do you have one of those? Nope. Okay. Not my size. Yeah. I do have one Pro Gear Slim. Uh, or the, the Sapporo, I think they're called. No, so not the Sapporo, the actual mini ones. Oh, the ones which are right. the, yeah, the little short chibi ones. The short ones. Gotcha. Sorry, you misunderstood. I don't think any retailers in Australia carry those at all. Um, I did hear, actually, that they've, re-des- they've redesigned that very slightly as well. Mm, to um, remove the threading. Yeah. The um, that's actually one of the reasons I never wanted to get any of the Pro Gear minis or the Slim minis. It's because the, the threads are completely impractical for me. I, I'd like to be able to just you know, push it onto the back. Um, you know, push the cap onto the back of the pen to post it rather than to have to screw it on. Well, if we assume that they've been developing the inks for quite a while, then I don't know. I, I don't think there's been a lot of development and new products as far as pen goes. It's mainly stripping back, um, cutting back on the lines that haven't been selling well or which are very obvious double-ups sort of overlaps with other existing lines, things like the Prophet Junior and the, is it the Colore? Um, Millicolore. No, not the Millicolore. Oh, Pro Color? The Pro Color, sorry. Yeah. yeah. I, I never worked out what the difference was between the Prophet Junior and the Pro Color. I think the problem <laughs> is that we don't we don't get these pens. Yeah, it's a shame. <laughs> you know, you, it's you it can't, is a shame. We can't get them in, they're not in Office Works, they're not in Dimex. Absolutely not. not in um, most of the online retailers for yeah. fountain pens. And Penultimate, the, the, I think they're the, the sailor Australia. They don't have sailors in the low end at all. They no, they don't. They're the really they expensive don't. ones. No, but, but um, yeah, it's just, it is a real shame because, uh, you know, to sort of, to use an internet term, to penable someone... Um, it's a good entry level. Yeah, it is a, a really yeah. good entry level pen because their their nibs are sailor nibs, so they're very high quality despite being sa- um, steel. Well, it's a shame. But it's, a, it's a shame. Probably a shame for the Japanese market, yeah. who who actually could yeah. buy these fairly cheaply to begin with. Um, it doesn't make a big difference to me, as far as I can I tell. I mean, uh, like I don't know that it's even a shame for the Japanese market because if you think about what where Sailor's sweet spot is, it's not in that end of town right Absolutely. because i think pilot the pilot prera has that um part of the market absolutely yeah. it owns it mm. um part uh, yeah and if you go down even cheaper you'd be looking at the platinum preppy they absolutely have yeah. those or the, c- c- um, the, the cocoon yeah yeah they have those markets down pat the sailors market share in those particular parts would be mm, negligible and i can't imagine that they would be super high profit margin pieces that would get you um that would uh, that would make sense for them to keep it around i mean one of the things that i've been thinking over in my you know in my solitude is um with the price of gold going through the roof and the way that you know it has over the past couple of months and sailors iconic 21 karat gold nib are they going to be revisiting their pricing model for their pro years, for their profits, or are they going to look to use a lower grade of gold because gold's just so expensive now? Well, they don't make any 18 karat gold nibs at all, do they? It's, it goes, uh, it's jumps straight from 14 to 21. They used to in their wood pen range, they were all 18 carats. I have a couple of 18 karat gold sailor nibs, but are not as a standard range that we would know about. They off the top do of make heads. them for cross. They're they're cross. Oh, of course. Um, the Isn't what are they that call no it? longer done? I, I don't, don't know if they do that, but it, I think that was discontinued recently. If it was, but yeah, the, the peerless. The, 
Yes, that's the one. Yeah, they they were made by Sailor and they were eighteen karat gold. Those were ugly pens, but the, <laughs> I the almost sh- bought one shape, for the nib, but like the shape you know. of they're very um, they look like a they look like an eyedropper because the like yeah. the cap is so big bulbous. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, it's and bulbous. the actual body is not that big. You know what? I'm just looking at at our microphones. They look like our microphones. They've got this big bulbous like pop filter on it, you know. That's the cap. It's it's a shame because I will say the caps fit really nicely on the pens. Like the, the 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 twist, the twisting of the cap was really smooth, and the balance of the actual pen was nice. It's just a shame about the cap. But yeah, so I, I don't know. I've been thinking that maybe the price of fountain pens are actually going to go up as a whole, or people are going to spend more time in trying to refine and make better steel nibs. This is the last topic that I really wanted to mention. And it came up as something I wanted to discuss because I was talking to a mutual acquaintance of ours, Carrie, at Carrie Rocks, who's a jewellery designer in Sydney. And she was mentioning how, because a lot of the fairs and the exhibitions that jewellers and their suppliers go to are just not happening now this year, it's having these knock-on effects in the market for manufacturers. If you just take one example, which is the production of pearls, because <laughs> I'm, a, I'm completely obsessed with pearls this year for some reason. Um, yes. If these fairs don't happen and the pearl farmers, mm-hmm. they can't get access to the wholesale retailers, then they don't make as much money, which means they can't invest in the next batch. And it has knock-on effects on product development or um, their supply three, four years down the track. And it's similar in, I think, in fountain pens. Like I have to assume, even though we're spending more time at home, that people are buying less. It's a hit to your people's incomes. Yeah. But also... Um, <laughs> But also because of all these logistical issues, it's making more difficult to buy online. So if retailers and manufacturers are making less money, that makes sense that they're cutting back on the non or the underperforming lines. But what do you think it means for um, product development in the future? I think they're going to be looking at more affordable products. Um, I think there will be less focus on those special one-off, you know, one of 10, one of 25, unique, limited edition, one-of-a-kind, couple of thousand-dollar pens because it's not the right market for it. Although, no, actually, I take that back. So I think the the future for fountain pens in probably the next year or so, they're going to go to two extremes. You're either going to get the very, very expensive ones because the people who have that disposable income still have that disposable income or you're going to overall bring the average price down because at that you know previously for me it used to be a bit of a sweet spot around the two three hundred dollar mark was a sweet spot where you could get a nice gold nib pen and you would think about it for like a week or two but then ultimately it's pretty easy to say yeah I'll get that nowadays no I don't do it I, I don't do it. I look very critically at something that's two, three hundred dollars and I go, well, is it really even worth that much? Because you know, as a whole, the population's disposable income has gone down. You know, we're not, we're in, we are in a recession in Australia. So the appetite for buying things which are at that premium price tag. Um, so between, I consider that from 300 up to say maybe about 1500. 
that price range, I think there's going to be much uh, fewer pens in that price range. It's the disappearance of the middle um, in a lot of industries, like including fashion and um, all of these consumer goods. So, yeah, I completely agree. I think people who invest in acquiring very expensive items, which they expect to appreciate over time, they will still spend that money and probably more so than ever before. Um, but the items in the middle, you know, which are meant to be used, there'll be less buying of that and more in cheap thrills, you know, things that are neg- negligible, not negligible in our previous, you know, market, but below $50, I would say, things that are probably not meant to last very, very long, that market will grow. And I think that's a bit of a pity personally in that I I was a big fan of that middle range. And the one thing I have noticed in the last six months is that the focus on finding things which are reusable, environmentally friendly, which you know, for a lot of people is why they go use a fountain pen because you can constantly reuse it. That mentality isn't as prominent as it was before. You know, everything's disposable now. You have to just, you get one time use everything now. You know, at like local coffee shops, you can't even bring your own cup because they're afraid you haven't disinfected it well enough to meet their standards. So I think that's a pretty big setback at a much bigger level, not just in fountain pens, but the focus on, you know, if it is the sub 50, I would probably say it's probably the sub 100 mark for something that is intended to be disposable rather than intended to be kept is a bit of a pity. I, I've actually, because I looked into Plus themselves and they make a lot of um, dispo- like single-use um, stationery, like, I mean, technically it's single-use, so like a, a notebook or something like that. So they, they may be looking at companies like Pilot who have their high-end fountain pen division, but they also have... You know, they're, they're gel pens and they're ballpoint pens that are disposable and very cheap, but they're produced in such volume that I think they're quite profitable. So I think we may see, in fact, I think I've already started to see some, I think I saw some Sailor uh, gel pens already on the market. Uh, I've seen some, I um, can't remember what the name of them, but they, they've started to make some gel pens that are disposable, uh, like clicky gel pens. Uh, I would I'd love to try them, but uh, they don't but think they're why would they But why would they brand them under Sailor and not under pre-existing stationary lines which produce pens? I think they're probably going for – I think they may, as, as Sharon, was, Sharon was saying, you know, divide the market into the really high end and the, the lower end, but that may also include things like, like what Pilot does with – you know, they've got their low end in terms of the cheaper fountain pens, but then they've also got their disposable cheap gel pens, ballpoint pens, rollerballs, stuff like that. Um, I was very keen to try it, but I couldn't find a place that sold it except for like Japan and, and they were charging like 60 bucks shipping for a single this is almost, pen. This is almost like <laughs> strangeness to the level of, you know, Pierre Cardin, which was previously in towels and T-shirts, suddenly producing inks. Like it, it's so... Yeah. Irrecus- well, irreconcilable in my mind. Well, I mean, I mean, I know that they also made um, felt uh, felt pens or brush pens. I they think. made brush pens. Yeah. they did like the Shikiori brush pens. Okay. Yeah, and I think you gave that them out during a giveaway once. Don't you yeah. remember? Yeah, you I know. Them. But oh, that's I mean, true. But they're for like art art making pens. Personally, I'm quite curious to try them, 
especially now, and I've seen cross advertising this, especially now in the era of owning your own pen, because people don't want to use someone else's pen in case they've, you know, sneezed on their hand or coughed on their hand and got all their germs all over it. So, by the way, um, I I have to say this on the topic of disposable pens. This shocked me, and I I have to complain about it. Have you been tested for COVID yet, Sharon? Yes, I have. And you too. Oh yes. Yeah. So I've times. been tested twice, and each time when I filled out my form, they would not let me use my own pen. They gave me a pen, and then at the end of it, they disposed of it. So for every single te- person who took a test, that was just one ballpoint pen that is completely tossed out yep. after a single yep. use, which is ridiculous. So I brought my own pen. Why didn't you just let me use yeah. it? Um, I, I think it's, it's a, at least during COVID, I mean, the amount of masks that are being disposed of, they're going to be... Yeah, They're going Terrible. to be... So all in the oceans. Yeah. For the next for the next two hundred years, we're going to be seeing masks in the oceans. You know, <laughs> it'll but be a debris layer in um, our geological be, yeah, record. The great, yeah, the great, the great, ma- yeah, there'll be like a, an entire island made entirely of floating masks in the Pacific Ocean. Oh dear. But yeah, I, I I think in this day and age, people are going to be wanting to bring their own pen. And I see people still doing it now. They they have one in their pocket where they didn't before. Even if it's just you know a a bic. They're still bringing their own pens. And I think that may be one of the motivations behind Sailor getting into the cheap disposable ballpoint market. One of many, I'm sure. I'm hoping one of the good things to come out of this would be that they improve their distribution and we have more than one access point for the higher end Sailor. Yeah, I I wonder if they're going to start using new distributors. Um, I think at least in America, Itoya of America, they take a fair chunk of the profit for themselves and so they may substitute their own a distributor rather than have a, a third-party company do it well we'll be watching developments with great interest because i think we all we're all pretty fond of sailor pens and their nibs especially and definitely their inks um let's do our recommendations next sharon start with you Okay, this one's probably a little bit old, but, you know, it's been six months since I gave my last recommendation. I would like to put a plug out for a Netflix show called Indian Matchmaking. <laughs> what? It I've heard a lot about a this. a reality TV show about an Indian matchmaker who is looking to set up a series of people through the Indian matchmaking system. Now, hmm. the reason why I love this show so much is that it has got the best memes and there is one particular line that the matchmaker uses and she basically says, you know, if it doesn't work out, it's because it wasn't in the stars. And I use that now for whenever something goes wrong at work, I send a picture of this person. I send the meme of her saying it wasn't in the stars. It didn't work out. It wasn't in the stars. So Indian matchmaking is a pretty short series. I think it's eight episodes. You recommended this to me last time I saw you. Yes, I still haven't seen it. Because it's, <laughs> it's a very easy watch. It's very easy to watch and it goes down really. Like it's mindless. You can relax. You don't have to think too hard about it. You just kind of laugh along and go, oh, my God, this is so crazy. So I will recommend that. And then because I'm on Netflix, the other thing that I'll give a plug for is Selling Sunset. The latest season is out. And Selling Sunset reminds us all of a time where we were able to be out and about and not stuck at home all the time. And it talks about the glamorous lives of uh, real estate agents in Hollywood 
Oh, hence sunset. Yes, and they all look like they belong on a TV show. Therefore, they're they're on a TV show, but um, it's very over the top. But I love it as well. Almost as much as I love Indian matchmaking. I don't know which one do I love more. Uh, they're both really good watches. I think Selling Sunsets now on its just released its third season in August, whereas Indian matchmaking there's only one season. Well worth the investment into Indian matchmaking. It's it speaks to my soul. <laughs> wow. Okay. Tab, how about you? Okay. What I do you never, recommend? It's a YouTube channel called How to Make Everything. They've got a series now where they they go ba- basically back to the Stone Age, and you know start making the most primitive tools that you know that humans have been known to use and then using those tools they make another tool that's slightly more advanced and one that and, and they, they just sort of continue on and they eventually advance to the bronze age where they're making bronze tools from scratch they're mining the bronze they're making they're mining the bronze sorry not mining the bronze sorry they're mining <laughs> I apologize they're mining the raw materials the metals that go into the bronze um, they're, they're mining all of the, the, the ores and everything. And they're also building the, the kilns from scratch as well. So they're not using like one of those ones you can just plug into the wall. They're actually building out of mud and, and grass and stuff like that. And, and, you know, charcoal, these, uh, furnaces that they can then smelt the iron and the tin and the copper and turn it into bronze. Um, then they're casting it and turning it into like a knife and then they'll use that knife to, start you know harvesting some food that they've grown it's it's really interesting so it's They're, like thousands of civilizational knowledge and um, yeah. development in how yeah, many, that, 40 episodes yeah pr- yeah pretty much and, and it's still ongoing you know they do one episode on you know, how to how to brew beer um how to brew concrete beer. yeah absolutely yeah. they've got all of those stuff like every single significant advance that humanity has made they recreate it but only using the tools that were available at the time and because they're going from the beginning, you know, the, the previous step feeds into the next step, you know. The, the, it's accumulative. Yeah. yeah. And, the, you know, when they eventually make iron, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or they make uh, steel, for example, they use the bronze tools to make the steel. And then they'll use the steel tools to make other stuff. It's really, really cool. And it's very, very inter- interesting. Um, yeah. So, and they've got, they've got all sorts of um, things that they make. They, they do other stuff like, you know, how to make a chocolate bar. You know, growing the cocoa and um, you know, roasting. So it. they they do actually grow the like. I think in this in this particular episode, oh, they he, went, farm he it. went to like a, some, yeah. a a place in South America that but they was use the raw materials. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. they actually go and get the raw materials. That's the thing; it's making everything from scratch um, with minimal materials that like are modern. You know, so it's it's really cool. It's a really really interesting. It makes it it really shows you how much you take for granted. Um, I'm thinking like what they're what their production budget looks like. It's big. It's big. Yeah. They're a rel- relatively big YouTube channel. Like they're, they're pretty popular, but I just, I just, I think in, in times like this, uh, where we're relying so much on technology, it's really, it gave me an appreciation of where we came from, like from the stone age to the bronze age, to the iron age, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Also gives What's some, it called again? Uh, how to make everything. Or sometimes I think if you just search HTME, um, that, that, that works. Um, but also it's got some cool ideas as well. Like, you know, they, they, at one point they, they grow soybeans and they make homebrew beer out of it. And apparently it's quite nice. <laughs> it sounds disgusting, but not like, tofu beer. I think they make other stuff out of, mm-hmm. out of it as well. They, they grow all these plants and they make all the things out of it. It's really cool. 
I think they make make paper from scratch as well. Using make papyrus from scratch, which was cool. So yeah, how to make everything? Yeah, how to make everything? Okay. It's really cool. I have uh, oh, I had an anti rec, but I don't remember what it was now. So it, it's skipping. not washing your hands. That's true. That that's an anti rec for all yeah, of you. Don't cough um, on people too. Don't cough on people. Don't sneeze on people. Don't spit on people. That's disgusting. Um, stay apart from strangers in public places. Wear your mask when you're standing in line. Yeah, wear a mask. Gosh. Wear a fucking mask. That's, that's a that's a wreck from us, I think. Yeah. At, at the a general wreck wear from a all mask. of us. I don't care if it's a little uncomfortable or if it fogs up your glasses. Wear a damn mask. Yes. Um, uphold all the public safety guidelines. Don't be an idiot. But my other recommendation is... So, um, I actually haven't been watching a lot of new shows recently. I've been mainly revisiting old shows. And same goes with books. Um, I think the extra mental energy of starting a new series has just been too much of a hurdle for me recently. So, um, what I have been doing is I, I read the final book in a trilogy that has been... It's been in progress for, I think, over a decade now. And it's called the Machine Dynasty series. It's written by a futurist um, called Madeline Ashby. Uh, I think she's Canadian. So if you don't know what futurism as a job is, it's like she basically um, writes briefs and scenarios for companies and also um, newspapers about possible futures. You know, she's sort of a sociologist and also a, a writer and also a scientist or a writer of science in, in one profession. And um, she applies this to her fiction writing as well. So The Machine Dynasty, it's, it's sort of science fiction about um, these androids who were created to serve mankind. But one of the fail-safes of robotics under the laws of Asimov, which is that they can't actually hurt human beings, it has been broken in a, a line or a, a matrilineal lineage of these robots. So you have these robots who are meant to serve humankind, and yet you have one particular family of these robots who can harm human beings. And it's told from their perspective. Um, and it's just this really great series of novels about robots. And the first line of the very first novel, I think it, it sticks so deeply in my memory because it's something like Amy ate her grandmother um, at her fourth grade graduation ceremony or something like that. And she literally eats her grandmother. Her grandmother is made of silicone chips. Amy eats her and uh, absorbs all of her knowledge and all of her raw materials. And, you know, her grandmother becomes part of her. And that's, just how the story begins, but Fourth it's, it's fantastinating. It's not complete without eating your grandmother. Exactly. Clearly. Well, who, who are we to judge, you know, the life, the great moments of um, a robotic life? But um, I, I recommended this series to, I really am forgetting people's names today. I recommended it to <laughs> who are Aiden. You again? Sarah. Yeah, who are you? <laughs> Sharon. Sharon. <laughs> I recommended it to Aiden several years ago, um, and he really enjoyed it too. So, Aiden, the last book is out, finally, after many delays, and um, I hope you'll check out the entire series. I think it's destined to be a classic, and I'm hoping they'll make a movie about it someday. Fingers crossed. It's called The Machine Dynasty. Uh, the first novel is called VN, after 
the von Neumann algorithms or whatever it's called, von Neumann, and it's by Madeleine Ashby. It sounds something like it sounds like the sort of movie that Ridley Scott would direct or Dennis yes. Villeneuve or Karen uh, Cameron um, James Cameron maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it it, it kind of sounds like it's almost like Dune or Blade Runner or something like that 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 Dennis Villeneuve would um would direct. It would be a great either live action or even animated. Yeah, some yeah. sometimes animation can get into really mm. weird concepts better than live action. Mm, mm. Uh, less adherence to what it would actually look and like. Given the, uh, the the times, I think maybe we might see a resurgence of animated films because actors might not be able to be on set together. That's Who true. Knows? Who knows? Like animators, they can do a lot more work over um, remotely and um, virtually. Anyway, that's getting a little bit too much into speculative fiction <laughs> now from us. But um, thank you both of you for joining me on this episode. Thanks for pulling this together. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. been great. Thank I'm you for looking, having me again. I'm not looking forward to, to editing two hours, nearly two hours of audio. Oops. <laughs> and hopefully we'll see you in the next yeah. episode as well. Mm-hmm. Past and future episodes of this podcast can be found at the Nib section and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto Apple Podcasts, rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenipsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us at the Nip Section Facebook page or at the Nip Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nip Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Sharon Tsar, Tavit Sinanian, and Diana Dai. Recording and editing was done by Diana Dai. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening.